Acts chapter 1, we will read from verses 1 through 11. As you know, I've been going through the book of Philippians, but this morning, take a little side break and go over to the book of Acts, a wonderful book of Acts, and look at some verses from this first chapter of this book. We'll read now, beginning at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when they had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. O God, as we come now to the preaching of your word, we pray for the illumination of your Holy Spirit, that you would truly teach us, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, and that you would help us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, one of the great things about going to presbytery is that you get to hear from a whole bunch of different committees. And of course, there's the credentialing of men who are seeking ordination, which I was a part of, and there was several other men there as well, and that's an exciting time. But hearing from all of the committees is very exciting, and I always love the most is the missions committee report. That's the one that always encourages me the most because I love to hear about what the Lord is doing in other congregations within our Western Canada Presbytery, across Canada, across North America, and truly across the world as the tentacles of the PCA spread out. We have a missions committee in North America. We have a missions committee in the entire world. And so we truly see that the PCA takes seriously the command of our Lord Jesus Christ to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And if you know the motto of the PCA, I think it's really great that we take this seriously. And the motto of the PCA is this, faithful to the scriptures, true to the reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. I think that's an awesome motto. Faithful to the Scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. The Old and the New Testament, that's the foundation of everything that we believe and everything that we teach. And we believe that, that upon that foundation, the Westminster Confession of Faith is a very good guide to lead us in terms of what the Scriptures actually teach us. 
It's an exceptional expression of biblical doctrine. And and though we believe in the doctrine of election, divine election, God's sovereignty in salvation, we do not believe that we are the frozen chosen. We are to go to the ends of the earth, our community, and preach the gospel and see lives changed and transformed. Now, how are we doing with that? How are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? It is a very searching question when we look at ourselves and look at our own hearts and think, are we living out these last words of the Lord Jesus Christ to go into all the world and be witnesses for him? The book of Acts is a very interesting book, and I love it for a number of different reasons. We see in the first verse there this person, Theophilus, and we may not know exactly who this person is, but we believe that he is someone who may have funded the research of Dr. Luke, who wrote this along with the, the book of Luke. And we think that he's now reporting back to him. He's reporting to Theophilus on these accounts and the things that are going on in the life of the apostle and the establishment of the early church. But Acts becomes a tremendous link for us between the gospels and between the establishment of the early church. What God is doing in advancing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's very fast-paced, it's exciting. And we see the gospel going forward in miraculous ways that alongside of the message are the miracles. And the miracles point back to the message. There's both of them together that we see there, and we need both of them together. And another reason why I love the book of Acts is because it takes people who were in some cases very, very weak and uses them in the ministry of the gospel. That's a great comfort to me. People like Peter, who were failures. People who were despised, like Matthew, the tax collector. Tax collectors were despised in this age. And other people, we see them triumphing through God's power alone as they seek to minister in Christ's name. They were failures. With the exception of John, all of them deserted the Lord at the time of his crucifixion. They were hopeless and they had lost all hope when Jesus was crucified. And we could go on and on and on at the failures of these disciples that our text tells us were chosen. Christ chose these people. Why? To magnify the Lord and the grace of God at work within the life of failures and sinners like these people were. They were chosen. That God's work would be magnified. God's work through them, through the Spirit's work. That God uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. And so if you are a failure sitting here this morning. And I don't imagine there is one person here that at some point in their life has not failed the Lord, either in public or in private. We too can take great comfort in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that when we repent of these things and when we turn to him in faith, that he can once more use us in terms of reaching out for the gospel. We are sinners, not only by nature, by birth in Adam's sin, but also in our active sins, our sins of action that we commit on a daily basis, the pollution and corruption that even our best works are tainted by. We see God empowering and using people for his glory 
The apostles lacked the understanding and the power to fulfill the Great Commission that we see in Matthew 28. And yet, here the Lord Jesus Christ reiterates a promise that he made previously, the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to empower us for works of of service. The Holy Spirit would empower the apostles and all believers after them to accomplish great works in the name of our Savior. And Christ's command Another reason to love the book of Acts is that Christ's command pushes us beyond the walls of this church and out into this world. When we come into here, we are coming in here to worship our God. When we go out of here, we are going out to make his name known, to make his name known amongst the people that we live with. And we do so in his power. And so we see verse 8 here is a very key verse. It is a key verse in the book of Acts, and it is the key verse that I want to focus in on this morning. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And this verse becomes a pattern for us within the book of Acts. If we were to take the entire book of Acts and chop it up, we would see that chapters 1 through 7 tell of the witness in Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 through 11, the witness in all Judea and Samaria. And then in chapters 12 through 28, we see the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And there's several different ways that we could could outline these first 11 verses. But again, I just want to look simply at verse 8 and look at the mission and the mission's extent and the mission's power. The mission, the mission's extent, and the mission's power. So let's deal with that theme verse, verse 8 here. And first of all, the mission. You will be my witnesses. That is the calling to all Christians. You will be my witnesses. Why does any church exist? Well, first of all, for the glory of God, right? That's our ultimate goal in existence. Our purpose is the glory of God. And secondly, it's to build up and edify one another as the body of Christ, to come alongside for encouragement as we walk through this world. And then thirdly, it is to be a witness to the world. That is the third reason why we exist, to be a witness to the world. And we are to be witnesses for Christ. And we see this recurring theme within the book of Acts, and we see this term witnesses occur 39 times. And it simply means this, to be the bearer of the good news, not the bearer of bad news. We have good news for a world that needs good news. Good news of the gospel. It simply means to share the good news that Jesus came in the flesh. He died to pay for sins. He was resurrected and now he reigns and rules exalted on high at the right hand of God the Father. And he calls us, he calls all people to believe in him and to freely receive the forgiveness of our sins. It's so simple. Even the youngest child can understand it. And yet it's so deep that the wisest theologian can drown in it. The depth of the gospel, the wonder of the gospel, it is the good news and it's so very, very simple in its simplest essence of what it is. You don't have to have read and understand the entire Westminster Confession. You don't have to be able to outline Calvin's Institutes. You don't have to know Thomas Aquinas and his Summa Theologica and his fivefold reason for the existence of God. Now it's great if you know all that stuff. 
Spend time in the confession. It's a wonderful doctrine rooted in the scriptures. But you don't have to know all of that. No, we come empty as broken sinners before the Lord. And the amazing thing is that he fills us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I want you to really ponder that for one second. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We call this double imputation. Where our sins are imputed to Christ, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. We have the very righteousness of God within us if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's righteousness imputed to us. The weight of our sins cast upon Christ. All of our sin, past, present, future, cast upon Christ. The very righteousness of God filling us up. We're emptied and we're filled by Christ's righteousness. All of our sins taken upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The debt has been paid and paid in full. Paid in full. But not only that, there is a credit to your account. You're credited with Christ's righteousness. It's an amazing thing to think about and to ponder the wonder and the amazement of Christ's imputed righteousness to us. The gospel is astounding and yet it is so simple. But the demand on us is very, very serious as quite Christ's followers. Once he saves us, he saved us for a purpose. And one of those purposes is to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here to glorify God by knowing Christ more deeply and to make him known more widely. That's what we are to be about. We come in here wanting to know Christ more deeply. We go out there wanting to make him known more and more widely in this world that is in desperate need of the good news. Some of Christ's last earthly words to us, you will be my witnesses. Last words are often so very, very important. We put great weight on last words. These are some of the last words of the Lord Jesus Christ to us, that we will be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we going to do that? Where are we going to do that? Well, we see the mission's extent. Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are to do it here, there, and everywhere. All over this globe. To the ends of the earth. And we may have heard these words so many times that they just kind of go in one ear and out the other. But I read of a commentator this past week who framed it this way for our minds to get a grip on how it must have sounded to the disciples when Jesus spoke this to them. He said, Jerusalem... The Lord was crucified there, hostile to Christ and his followers. Judea, they'd been rejected there time and again. Ministered to the Samaritans, they were taught their entire lives to stay away from the Samaritans. To the ends of the earth, the Gentiles too. How could that be? This is God's Messiah for the Jewish people. How can we spread the Messiah to the Gentiles as well. These words are very familiar to us, but they wouldn't have been to them, to the disciples. But they did it. They followed the Lord's command 
to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we know many different stories from the Bible and from church tradition and how, how Andrew went to India and various disciples took the gospel to various nations. They carried out what the Lord commanded in what he wanted, that you will be my witnesses. He wants his name to be known. He wants his name known in this world. He wants people to now in this world to do what all men will do in the next world, to bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ in humble adoration to him. The apostles made his name known and we are to do likewise. And we might say it's too hard. The cost is too great. We don't know enough. This demand upon us might be seem impossible. And that is why the Lord gives us the help of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will empower us to do this. And we see the mission's power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This power equips us and enables us to accomplish things that we can't do outside of this equipping and enabling work of the Holy Spirit, empowering us to be witnesses for Christ. Now, there was a brief interlude of about 10 days here when this occurred. And then the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles with great and mighty power. The power was at work within them and the power was working through them. God gave them power to accomplish great things for Christ and God imparts his power when and how he wants to. God has a realm which he is at work in that we are not a part of. We are called to plant and to water and to be faithful in that. It's God's power to save alone that accomplishes that. We are called to plant and to water. And I know that many of you have a story of how God has done this. The the seed was planted in your heart, in your life, and it came to fruition. It was watered. And God saved you and transformed you. That's one of the great things about doing membership interviews. You get to hear people's story of transformation in their lives and how God has been at work within them. God is always in the business of saving souls. And we might think that he's not doing that. We might think that the Spirit's not at work in our age. We might suppress and and put down the, the work and activity of the Holy Spirit, but yet we know that God is still in the business of saving souls. And he wants to use people like us, weak people like us, to accomplish great things in his power and in his name. Hard hearts can be softened. The hardest of hearts can be softened. The person in your life that seems the furthest away can come to Christ. And so my encouragement to you is to keep on praying and looking for God to do what you cannot do. For God to do what you cannot do. We cannot save people, but we can pray for them We can speak the gospel to them. We can be a good example and witness to them. We can be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you've heard the term navel-gazing before, right? We often use that for somebody who might be just very introspective and inward thinking and looking to themselves all the time, selfish, maybe bitter, angry, constantly self-focused. And I love that verse in, in verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? How could they not look into heaven? The Lord Jesus Christ who was with them, who they loved, 
is now going away and is ascending into heaven, how could they not stand there looking? And yet the angel or the, the two men come alongside and say, Why do you stand looking into heaven? And to paraphrase, the angels are basically saying, Get on with it. Quit looking up and start looking out. There's a task to accomplish that the Lord Jesus has just given you. Get on with it. There's a gospel to advance. God wants to use you to do it. And now we know what that looked like in the lives of the disciples and how church history tells us and the Bible tells us what happened. But how are we going to use this admonition from the Lord? What does it look like for us? How are we going to do that? What does that look like for you as a disciple and follower of Christ, taking this command of Christ back home, back to your neighborhood? How are you going to be prepared to give an answer to the hope that lies within you, to those in your life, to those around you? There's a sense in which all of us are called to be missionaries, to be witnesses, And we're not all called to go to Africa like Christina Morton is and where Grace McDonald is now. We need to pray for these dear ladies as they go there. But we are all called to be missionaries right where we are at, to be witnesses of the Lord. Maybe not to go, but maybe to send, to support, to pray for, to plant the good seed of the gospel, to bring God's word, to water that seed. Remember, we are called to go, to send, or to disobey. You've probably all heard that before. We either go, we send, or we disobey. That is the command of the Lord. We are involved in going, we are involved in sending, or we are disobeying. So who has the Lord called you to support, to pray for, to plant the seed, to pray for, all of these things. It's all of our task. And it's not an optional task. There's no loopholes. There's no get-arounds and workarounds. We always like those workarounds, don't we? There's a task that's really hard. How can we find an easier way? But there is no workaround. We are called to be witnesses. Now, there was the death this past Tuesday of a man named Andrew Vanderbilt. Has anybody ever heard of Andrew Vanderbilt? No one. No one in Surrey ever has either. But maybe once I explain who he is, some of you at least will have heard who Andrew Vanderbilt is. But again, he died this past Tuesday at 94 years of age. He was converted at, in the, the Dutch army just by reading the scriptures. He was at a crisis point in his life. He was injured in war. And while he was lying there, injured, he was reading the scriptures and he was converted. He later went for missionary training. And then he was in Poland and he found himself at a communist meeting of young people. All these, this is in the 1940s. All these young people gathered together uh, as communists. He was not a communist, but he was sitting there wondering, how can I reach these people that are just so, so lost? And so he decided, he had an idea that he was going to bring Bibles and Christian literature into these communist nations, crossing borders into East Germany, crossing borders into Russia. And all the while, when he was doing this, he knew that he would be arrested if he was caught at these checkpoints of the borders. And so he always prayed the prayer, 
Lord, when you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now I pray, make seeing eyes blind. Do not let the guards see those things that you do not want them to see. And he was never caught. Sometimes he had Bibles and literature on his dashboard, just in plain sight. And they missed it. And he was able to get these Bibles and literature into these countries. Now, you might know him as Brother Andrew, God's smuggler, he was called. He wrote a book called God's Smuggler back in the 1970s. And he founded Open Doors Ministry, which is a ministry of the persecuted church. And, and even now, even in these past years, they still give out over three million Bibles in persecuted countries. He followed this command of the Lord Christ very, very seriously. And I'm happy to say and report that the PCA follows the command of Christ very seriously. And we have a wonderful missions committee that brings us to awareness of the missionaries that we support that go to the ends of the earth to bring the gospel and to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. On Friday, while the while the uh, presbytery was was deliberating on my exams. I was in this waiting area where they had a missions board and they had all these different missionaries there. It's a PCA church as well, of course. And the thing that I was surprised about and happy about was that I didn't recognize any of the names. They were none of the missionaries that we support on our list of missionaries that we support. And I was encouraged by that because there's so many missionaries And if we were to do the math amongst 3,000 PCA churches, and I know some of them would, would be supporting the same missionaries, but there are a lot of missionaries through the PCA and the tentacles and arms that go out into this country and into the world that bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to these different nations and different people. And I was very, very encouraged by that to see that. And so we have a part in that. We play a part in that. We have wonderful missionaries to support and different things and and different agencies to support through this church. And that's great and that's wonderful and we want to do that and pray for them and see the gospel advance this way. And so my question is, how are we doing as individuals? It's sometimes very easy to write a check And we should do that and pray for people. But it's much more difficult to reach out to family members, to neighbors in our neighborhood. It's much, much more difficult. And so we need to pray for wisdom to do that. We need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And we need to remember that our Lord Christ is returning. In the same way he went away, he's going to come back. And is he going to find us faithful? Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we do see this so often as such a great challenge and we thank you for our wonderful missionary missions committee and the missionaries that we support and pray for and we need to do that and maybe even we need to do that more. But yet oh God, we have neighbors, we have family members that need to hear your word. <clears throat> need to be encouraged by your gospel need to know that there is the forgiveness of sins, that when we humbly come to you, that you will forgive us and you will give us your very righteousness. 
We thank you, Lord. We are not worthy of such a gift, and yet you graciously, freely give to us. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I ask that you'd bless each one. Life can be so challenging and difficult, and I pray that by your power you would help them to advance your kingdom, all for your glory and for the exaltation of our Lord Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.